0: For a little while this afternoon, I want to speak upon the subject, Unconditional Surrender. Jesus said over in uh, Matthew, the 16th chapter, and verse 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This is a question that's asked by Jesus here, and uh, he's asking the ultimate in our lives. Uh, few people can comprehend the expanse of what Jesus is asking here and what he demands here. And few people are really walking the straight and narrow way and are really, really giving themselves all that Jesus Christ has required. We're going to talk for a little while about unconditional surrender. Now that means a surrender of everything that the Lord requires of us. That means giving up everything we need to give up, accepting everything we need to accept that Jesus Christ would have us to do. It's it's an accepted practice in the physical world When nations are warring and the uh, opposing nation uh, uh, desires, uh, or rather the the conquered nation, demands uh, terms with the other nation, that means they have to surrender everything that might be uh, uh, in opposition. There's nothing left, there's nothing that remains, and so uh, it takes the surrender of all. I'm afraid we have far too many people today who have been baptized. They have come into the church or they think they have at least and they have not made an unconditional surrender. They're still holding on to things that they always practiced before they became Christians. They're doing things that they did not, that, they, that they've always done and there's not really been much difference except the fact that they just start coming to church and take, start taking the communion. Now that won't work. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We are required to surrender. And not just surrender, but surrender all unconditionally to him. And everybody should know what that means. I remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, who came running to Jesus, this young man had a lot going for him. He was young, he was rich, he was a ruler, and he was almost perfect, so far as the law was concerned. But he saw Jesus and he and he, and he, did have a, he thought he had the uh, 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 consent of his heart to be perfect, to be, to be Jesus, to be Jesus-like. So he ran to Jesus and fell at Jesus' feet. You have to admire that about him more enthusiasm lots of church members show from time to time I'll admit. And he said good master what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said keep the commandments. They were living under Moses' law at that time and of course that's what's applicable to him. He said which? And Jesus enumerated the commandments. And he said well master these have I kept from my youth. up. What lack I yet? Now isn't that a noble response? It really is. He thought he really had the consent of his heart. And Jesus then put the test to him. If you would be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and come follow me. You know, uh, some say Jesus was uh, requiring or rather having uh, a disciple interview with him, interviewing him for discipleship. He failed it. Go sell what you've got, give it to the poor and come follow me. But that's not all he said. If he'd stopped there, you could sort of might uh, realize that the young man could have had some reasons for some questions, but Jesus didn't stop there. And many times we stop there. We don't give the full uh, response. And thou shalt have treasures in heaven. In other words, Jesus Christ never does take anything from you but what he gives you tenfold more back in return. And thou shalt have treasures in heaven. You go sell what you've got. You give it to me. And you'll have treasures in heaven. You know that's the only thing that really matters. It matters not how much you've got down here. You might just have a bank full of money down yonder. You might have uh, sections of land. You might have all kinds of properties. You might have all kinds of holdings down here. If you don't have treasures in heaven. You're a spiritual pauper. And you could just mark that down on your book. And you're just playing games. That's all you're doing. I want to talk a little bit about surrendering some things. Uh, This young man should have made that surrender, but he didn't. So far as I know, he never did. I don't know. We used to sing a little song, Lord, I make a full surrender. Lord, I want to follow whatsoever, whatsoever befall. Till I win thy blessed mansions, I surrender all. Make me thine, O blessed Savior, let not sin enthrall. I will trust thy loving favor, I surrender all. Why does Jesus have the right to demand this of us? Who is He anyway? Well, we spoke about that this morning. Well, Jesus Christ has a right to make an unconditional surrender of us for one reason, because of who he is. He's God's only son. God's not only son, but his beloved son. Matthew 28 and says, All power or authority is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. Now, Jesus has been granted that. Now, that's the reason why he can tell you what to do. You know, we have people today who say, I'm my own boss. Now what I say, what I want is what I'll do. Don't tell me what to do. You are not your own boss. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you are less your boss than anybody on the top side of God's green earth. You don't have anything to say about yourself. Jesus Christ has all. Matthew 17 and 5. He says, uh, this is my beloved son, and whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. That's what God said about him when he was on the mountaintop. You know, uh, most parents are proud of their sons. Some parents are are a little bit reticent about expressing how much they love their sons or whatever. God wasn't. God the Father wasn't. And uh, God the Father was macho enough until Eve spoke about Jesus when he stood down there on the bank of the River Jordan dripping with the waters of his baptism. This is my beloved son. He called him his beloved son. He loved him. And you know, uh, I have a little word for the people who are turning Jesus down today. And we've got a lot of people today who are turning Jesus down. They're not turning God down. We've got Muslims and whatever else that claim they believe in a God. And some folks want to be so generous like many Americans are. Well, I think we ought to be broad-minded, you know. We all are serving the same God. No, we're not. It's like somebody said the other day. They're not serving the God I'm serving. My God had a son. And he called him Jesus. And he said, he's my beloved son. And you'd better be careful how you treat God's son. I'll tell you that. If you want heaven against you, if you want God against you, you start messing with his son. I remember a story I heard one time about a drunk. He wasn't just an alcoholic, he was a drunk. And he came home almost on a daily basis and beat his wife. Just beat her and beat her. And she just took it calmly. But one time he came home and jumped on their son. Found him in the yard, took a stick and beat him up. And his eyes were bleeding and everything. That mother reached over on the drain board in the kitchen, took a butcher knife and literally slaughtered him almost. He recovered. And somebody said something to her. How could you do that? She said, listen, that man can do anything he wants to do to me. But when he starts messing with my son, I'll kill him. I want you to know that God has let people go a long ways in this old world. But one of these days, God's going to call you into account for the way you're doing his son. That day they nailed him on that cross outside of Jerusalem because he wasn't fit to be crucified inside. As he hanged there, God let the world know how he felt about that. That's when he pulled down the curtains of blackness and darkness on this old world like it had never been seen before. That's when the lightning flashed and the thunder rolled and the rocks were rent and the graves became open. People got out of the graves and walked up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Even so much so that Roman captain standing out there, sitting out there on that horse as still as a picture painted on him, canvas. He smote his breast and said, Surely this must have been the Son of God. He had, never, he, had, he had supervised hundreds of bloody butcheries, but he'd never seen one like that. You know what that was? God letting this world know what he thought of the way he was doing his Son. But that's not even a picture of what we're going to see when we get to the judgment. And we have to stand there and give an account to God for the way we've done his Son. Now, God's letting people know right here in this text that he's given him the authority to tell you what to do. Jesus said one time, you believe in God, believe also in me. Well, the Jews believed in God, but they didn't believe in that fellow like I was talking this morning, and they called him that fellow. You know. Well, God doesn't like that. Revelations 1 and 8. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's everything. That's what that means. He's from A to Z and all the letters in between. He's everything. And that's the reason why he has the right to tell you what to do. First Peter 3.22 says, The like figure, whereunto even baptism with all so now save us, not the putting away the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, who is gone into the heavens and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. All right. If God's required that the angels in heaven bow down to Jesus, we'd better do it. Little, pure, little puny human beings down here had better do it. And he requires it. Next, the reason why he has the authority to tell us what to do is because of the price He paid for us because He owns us. You know you usually have the right to do with your property what you want to. And we belong to Him, at least we're supposed to. We yielded ourselves to Him one day, or at least we said we did. We went through a form and claimed that we did. What if we do? Then we have the right to obey Him. We must. 1 Peter 1 and 18 For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. From your vain conversation received from the traditions of your fathers. But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As of a lamb. Without blemish. And without spot. Also he says, ye are not your own. You are bought with a price. And what a price. Next. We have. He has the right because. He represents us in heaven. He's our counsel. He's our attorney in heaven. You know, you can't pray to God. You can't talk to God directly. God's too majestic. You're too human. You've got to have a medium, an in-between. Even in our judicial systems, we've got to have somebody to represent us and talk to the big judge sitting up there. You don't just go in and say, hey, judge, I want to tell you something here. I'm not guilty of this. No, they'd haul you out of that courtroom, put a little bracelet around your arm. Yeah, they would. And uh, I'll tell you something else. You've got to go get you a, a advocate. You've got to go get you an attorney. You've got to go get you an intermediary, and he'll come in with all those Juarez's and wherefores and Whatsoevers and, Charge your fortune for it and he'll be your judge. He'll be your voice to the judge. You, he's got to talk for you. You talk through him. Well, Christ is ours. And he stands before God today listening at our prayers and taking our prayers to him. He did that for me when I made the confession. Down yonder a long time ago as a 14-year-old boy under an old tabernacle in New Salem Church. I stood up one day as a little boy and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know what? Jesus turned to the Father and he confessed me. As old Isaac Watts said in his song, then will he own my worthless name before his father's face and in the new Jerusalem appoint for me a place. He turned around that day and confessed me. He had said, whosoever shall confess me before men, Him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. And that day I was made known in heaven. That day day my name was written down, and yours was too. Well, we used to sing a little song down south. It uh, went something like this. Mr. Uh, Malcolm Jones, a little man down in LaGrange, Georgia, wrote it. What a friend I have along this journey. He is ever near to hold my hand. What a friend I have as my attorney who will plead my case in glory land. I'm thankful for that. So I can say at the conclusion of my prayer, we thank you, Father, for Jesus' sake and for his name. Next. Well, let me read this here. 7. Hebrews 7.25 Who is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercessions for us. That's what he does. Hebrews 9.24 For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands which is a figure of the true but into heaven now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, that's the reason why he tells me what I've got to do. He has that right. Well, what does his uh, surrender include? It surrenders our will. We have to surrender our will, Matthew 6, 7, and 15. The disciples were taught to pray, "Not, uh, not my will, but thine be done. That's what Jesus did, you know. Surrender our time, our time. Romans 13 and 11 says, And that knowing the time that it is now high time to wake out of sleep. We've got people today who don't have time for the Lord. They don't have time for the church. Well, let me tell you something. You've got to surrender your time. I I hold a meeting sometimes and folks will just walk up to me and they think they're very innocent in doing it, but they're expressing their inadequacy. Brother Lynn Wood, I'd have been over there, but I just didn't have time. I said I know that but you've got to take some time you've got to surrender some time figure it out that's up to you God lets you figure it out you've got time for ball games you've got time for movies you've got time for rodeos you've got time for this that and the other now you better figure out somehow in your schedule some time for the Lord that's up to you to do he demands it you just better figure it out our surrender of our time. You know, we're saying, take time to be holy. Speak off with thy Lord. You know, it takes time to be holy. You've got to do some praying. You've got to take some time to do. You've got to read God's word. It takes some time to do. You've got to go visit the sick. It takes some time to do. When's the last time you've been to a nursing home? When's the last time you've been to a hospital? When's the last time you went to talk to a shut-in? When's the last time you talked to somebody about not coming to church? Have you surrendered your time? Well, how many times did you take your wife out to eat after work? How many times did you just go for a cruise down the road? That's what you like to do. Well, you better be doing something that God likes for you to do. He demands a surrender of our time. Of course, he surrenders our talents, too. Whatever you've got a talent to do, he demands it. And it's up to you to surrender it. If you've got a talent to sing, he expects it. If you've got a talent to teach, he expects it. If you don't have a talent, he doesn't. But if you do, he does. And whatever it is, surrender of our worldly friends. Uh Uh-oh. Surrender of our worldly friends. 1 John 2 and 25, love not the world. James 4.14 ye adulterous and adulteresses knowing know ye not the friendship of this world is enmity with God. John 15.14 Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Got to surrender your worldly friends if they're hindering you in the living of the Christian life. Uh, beware of the friends that you've got that you're ashamed or backward about admitting your fidelity and your communion with the Lord. Be careful. It's all right to have your worldly friends over for dinner and go out on a vacation with them or go out and visit with them and and intermingle and interact with them. The Lord expects us to uh, not be isolationists. He said, you're the salt of the earth. Well, that indicates that we've got to be applied, you know, if we do any good. Salt's no good if you just leave it sitting up in the pantry, you know. But you've got to take it down and apply it. And we've got, God's got to apply us to the world. We've got to associate with the world if we do the world any good. But I said if we do it any good, as long as we are influencing the world, and as long as you're influencing your worldly friends, God's, Pleased with you but if you get to where you're ashamed to sing a gospel song around there you're afraid to tell them where you go to church especially that little one cup church down the road down yonder somewheres, and uh, you're afraid for them to see you reading the Bible or afraid to hear you offer thanks at the table then you better be careful you're on the slippery slopes and you're getting in a bad way you better be careful he expects you to surrender them Next, our loved ones. Yeah, I said that, our loved ones. Did you know your loved ones can be the biggest enemy of Jesus that you possibly can have sometimes? That's right. Your loved ones can keep you out of Christ. Your loved ones can keep you from serving the Lord after you get into Christ. Oh, how I've seen these people come to the Lord I preached all these years, and I've seen these people who just didn't, who hated the church, who just hated me, when I told them it's one church that's going to go to hell. You know, oh, they hated me. After a while, though, they kept coming on. Their wife kept dragging them to church. You know, and they finally came on. And finally. Oh, I back there, they got to where they'd stop and speak to me at the door and be nice and friendly to me. And they'd smile at me, you know, and shake my hand and call me old Lynn Wood. And, and we got to be kind of friends, you know, getting a little better. After a while, I've seen them come on in and sit there through the whole services. And their mouth get open. Could tell, I can tell they're getting this today. They're getting this today. Finally, finally, that invitation song is sung. And I see them drop that song book and start walking down the aisle. Oh, that's when the great things happened. You know, they surrendered. They had to surrender their loved ones because their loved ones were holding them back. Well, things are not going to be the same at home from then. They're not going to wait on you when they have the family reunion when you go to church. Things are not going to be the same back there anymore. But that's all right. You've got to give that up if you're going to be the Lord's. Jesus did Jesus did. You remember that time when he was inside the building and the folks came to him and said, Hey, your mama and your brother's outside out there waiting on you. They want to see you. You know what? Now, a lot of folks don't know this, but the background story of that was they thought the Lord was beside himself. The Bible said so. They thought he kind of touched a little. He got to him or something. And they'd come to take him home. They were ashamed of their big brother running around over the country talking about being a king. And they'd come to take him home. Jesus knew that. And they said, Your brother and your mother's outside. And he said, Who's my mother? And who are my brethren? But these that obey my will. And when he said that that day, he let you know, and me, and everybody else know, that nobody comes in between him and his father in heaven. Let it be your mama, let it be your child. Let it be whoever else. Well, I don't have long talk this evening, but I'm going to conclude now by saying that he expects us to surrender uh, our lives to him. He expects our life to just be a full surrender to him. You remember, did you ever hear the story of Queen Victoria uh, there's a story of which history tells us about her that touches me very much. She's well known and remembered in the British Isles because of her godly demeanor as the Queen. Uh, they've got things named for her over there the Victoria Bridge, Victoria Thoroughfare, and this and that and the other. The story is that she came to the throne when she was a very young girl. And she had to be prepped. She had to be trained. And the governesses and tutors had to take her and train her for the queen role that she would occupy. And so they got her and they were preparing her. One of the things that they told her was when she became queen and she came out to hear the concerts by the choirs, that she was supposed to be the queen. And when they would sing the song, Hallelujah Chorus, which was of course very famous there, that when they came that she was supposed to sit. She was the queen. All the rest of the Englishmen would stand, but she would sit. Well, she went out to hear the great performance and and as they were singing Handel's great, great composition, she sat and they sang all the way through that long, long uh, song and production and finally they got to that part where it said in praise to God King of kings Lord of lords forever and ever they looked and the beautiful young queen with flushed face was seen rising to her feet with the head bowed in honor to the great God of heaven Years later, as an old lady, Dr. F.W. Farah, her preacher, Canon Farah, was preaching one Sunday morning, and she asked him to enter the queen's box. And she he came in, and she looked up at him, and she said, Dr. Farah, I so wish that I might be reigning when Jesus comes again, because I would like to take this crown the great crown of all Great Britain and lay down at his feet. Isn't that beautiful? I don't care anything about our politics. I don't know anything about them. Don't know anything about anybody's politics much, don't care. But I'll tell you what, I don't have a crown to lay down at Jesus' feet today. But I have a life, a broken, wrecked life, like everybody else. And I can take that lay it down to Jesus' feet and he will take it and accept it and he'll remake it and he'll make out of it the most beautiful thing in all this world more beautiful than a sunset more beautiful than a landscape more beautiful than any earthly picture you could paint he'll make a Christian out of it and you show me a young boy a young girl an old man an old woman a man or woman in the mid-stresses of life's passage, and I'll show you the most beautiful picture in this world. And that's a Christian. That's a surrendered life. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail,